hey, you guys, look out the window. What's up? <laughs> it's amazing, isn't it? Just really nice to get into the season. I had a, a friend of mine that I worked with at another church, and she posted on her Facebook. She goes, I, I think I'm suffering from mental whiplash because last Sunday we canceled church and it was white out, and I just heard the ice cream truck just now drive by my door. That's Minnesota, though, isn't it? I, I, and you guys, I, I don't know. I came, I came home, I don't know, just, it was just, just in the, the precipice of the, the first warm weather, and there's two flies on my door. Where'd they come from? Are they like Arctic flies, or what are they? It's just crazy to me. How, how does this happen? Man. Well, a couple weeks ago, how many of you were here to hear Brendan preach out of John 21? Were you here for that? Good message. If you weren't here, I would encourage you to go back. But I, I could not get away. I was just shadowed with this thought during the first services and then the second service and then all week after that, thinking about this question, why do we drift so easily? In other words, why is it that we go back to fishing so easy, so naturally, and then not only that question of why do we drift, but how does God really handle it when we drift? What does he really look like? Because there's so many pictures and so many voices that shout to us about what Jesus is like. This story blows all that up, I think. And it's worth listening to again. So open your Bibles to John 21. The stage opens up where the, uh, the disciples are, are along the Sea of Galilee. And then you get the infamous Peter quote in verse 3 where he says, I'm going out to fish. And then all the guys said, we'll go with you. So they head out on the boat. Many of these guys are professional fishermen. They fish all night. And the verse says they caught nothing. How many of you are fishermen? Yeah. Is it fun to not catch nothing? No. (laughs) That's not why you go out. So these guys are out there. But what I want us to really see as the story opens up is that when we're confused, when life is not working the way we thought it would work, when this idea of that God has a good plan for your life, when it's not seeming to come like so good and it's hard and we're struggling, it's so easy for us to drift. Because what we know is me. I was born me. I have lived with me for 60 years. (laughs) My poor wife has lived 36 years with me. But my me is alive and well, and when trouble happens, when life isn't happening the way me wants it, I drift. I just start to lose my way. And it's not about running off to sin. It's a drift that happens. It's so natural. It's so normal because of who we are and how we're wired. It's, it's like if I hold this pen up in the air and I let go of it, it drops because gravity pulls it there. And there's something very natural in us that pulls us away from the Lord when we're struggling. And Peter is toast. But think about this. We, we often rush into Easter, we celebrate Easter, we're glad for the resurrection, but we don't think about what this did to these guys' lives. They burned bridges. They can't go back into the community the way that they used to go back into. They're marked with the mark of Jesus. And this Jesus, the last two weeks are mind-blowing. 
He's been wrongly arrested. He's been mistried several times. He's been publicly pummeled, beaten, and then staked out on the cross and dies. This is the Messiah. This is not what I thought would happen. Then, three days later, he's resurrected, and you've got to wrap your brain around what's happening here. We just don't give enough credence to all the turmoil and struggle. And it's Peter. Think of how he feels. I want to be the kind of person, friend, brother, pastor, that when you're in a tough spot, I won't back down. I'll have your back. I'll be at your side. I will be there. And I know Peter wanted to be that for Jesus, but people, how did he do? Not so good. When you and I don't do so good, we drift. And for Peter, the drift meant fishing. What's your drift? I'm not asking you to shout it out. You were like, Oop. I mean, I, ha- I have several drifts. My good friends, Ben and Jerry. <laughs> Proof positive. Surely they'll cure whatever my soul is lacking. And you drift. Now, I want to say, fishing's not a sin. It's not a sin. So all you fishermen can relax. Him going fishing's not a sin. But here's the problem, is there's separation. And that separation from the Lord creates a wide open landing mat for sin. There's all kinds of things that can come in. And when we drift, we begin to drift from how clearly we're seeing them. And we become more obsessed about our situation, our circumstances. Oh, the people in those circumstances. Oh, the trouble I'm in. And we get consumed about this thing over here, and we lose track of the one who changes all things. We lose track. Where is he? Here's the reality. You and I will not always know what he's doing. But we can always know he's good. We can always know that. It does not change. It does not vary. Our circumstances may not be good. Our troubles might be really bad. We might have 21 going on 22 flat tires. I don't know what he's doing, but I know this. He's good. And if you allow those circumstances and those trials and those troubles to form the image, your picture of God, in your greatest hour of need, you'll miss him. I wonder if some of the reason you read in the Gospels, they don't right away recognize Jesus as, I wonder what was happening to their picture. It's getting reformed. Ours is always getting reformed. They stay up all night. They don't catch a thing. I wonder why in the world they didn't pray. Sometimes when we get lost in our way, in our work, in our struggle, in relationships, why don't we pray? Why when the boss comes and he throws a whole other file on your thing and says, could you have this done? Throws the papers around. By tomorrow, do you pray? Do you listen? Why don't we pray? And I wonder, guys, why don't you pray? But here's the goodness of this, is that even when we forget him, he can't forget us. He's got on his palms our names. 
He never loses track. Oh, where'd those guys go? Oh, what they're doing? Oh, they drifted. I can't find them. No, we'll find out. He's right on the shore. Bird's eye view. He's watching. This is what Romans 6, 7, and 8 will hit when we go back to Romans. Paul's going to talk about being with him. And then he's going to be honest as, as the seasoned apostle. He's going to be candid with us. And he's going to say, listen, you guys, the things I want to do, the good I should do, I don't do. Who will save me? And he preaches the same thing this story preaches. We'll get to that. The thing I want you to see as we start out is that Jesus didn't just die for our sins. Slow down. I'm not going to preach heresy. Of course, he, he did die for our sins, but that's not just it. Yes, payment had to be made. Yes, they needed to be atoned for so we could be justified. But he didn't just clean us up and leave us. The paramount reason that Jesus died for our sins was he was concerned about the separation, the distance, the gap. And he wasn't coming just to baptize you in whiteness. He was coming to make you his. You're mine. You did not choose me, he says plainly. I chose you. You're mine. That's why he suffers. That's why he endures. And that is why he lives. He is still making it clear to you and I, you are mine. It's important for us to know this because if we're left to ourselves, if Jesus just saves me back here, 1980, October 17th, and then he says, now I want you to be a pastor and get a bunch of things done for me, but he's far, far away. I'm in trouble. Mark Spencer alone is trouble. Mark Spencer plus Mark Spencer equals Mark Spencer. I need Jesus. I need Jesus. I need someone who will come to me. I need someone who will come find me. I need someone who will pick me up. I need someone who will wake me up. I need someone who will care for me, lift me up, move me up. That's what I need. I don't need more Mark Spencer. Good grief. My friend Corny, he sits back where Thomas Schmitz is sitting back there. I don't know if you've met Corny. He's a wonderful man. And he's got a great sense of humor. And he's got this T-shirt I just love. I said, Corny, I want that T-shirt. And on the front of it, it's a white T-shirt. It's got black big letters. And it says, well, in my defense, I was left totally unsupervised. <laughs> That's Mark Spencer. Well, in my defense. But we're not ever unsupervised. That's what Jesus wants us to see in this story. The story's not about Peter and his drifting. The story's about us and our tendency to drift. And what does this Jesus do about that? What does he do? You look at verse 4. Early in the morning, Jesus is on the shore. He's right there. The disciples did not realize it was him. So he calls out and he says, Friends, have you caught any fish? He knows our situation. Is he, is he calling to bug them? These guys are fishermen. 
You just said to me, when you go fishing, you want to catch fish. If you fished all night and you got Zippo and some dude's calling from the beach, hey, did you catch anything? What do you want to do? Get your big old hook and, right? Jesus isn't doing that to tease. He's doing that to, to just make a step in. Hey, I see your situation. You see, Jesus engages them right where they're at. He wants them to be aware of the fact that apart from me, you can do nothing but with me, all things are possible. He engages them and he waits to see if they'll respond. And they do with a lengthy one word response, no. We got nothing. Now I want you to think about this because this engagement, you you need to start to think about who this Jesus is. Because there is nothing on this planet like Jesus. Nothing that even remotely gets close to him. He is perfect in every way. He is love. He is patient. He is kind. He's compassion that flows. Everything on the planet has something wrong with it. But this Jesus is perfect. And it's hard for us to wrap our heads around that. Because we live in such an imperfect setting. It's hard to imagine there's a perfect Jesus. But he is calling not to do what the world does. He's not shaming. He's not mocking. He's not making fun. He's engaging. He's wanting to close the gap to narrow the drift. And it's so easy, it's so easy, so easy to start to lay onto this perfect Jesus all the imperfect things we find in the world. When you're picked on on the playground, when you're kicked around at work, when the kids at school mock you, when your parents aren't parents to you, when you have all those troubles, it's so easy to where where this perfect Jesus will show himself, I'm perfect. Watch me. Watch me. But our biggest challenge in our faith is to let him be him. Perfect in all his ways. Goodness personified. And he's slowly starting to reel in the drifters. And so he says to them, throw your net on the right side and you'll find some. And when they did, they couldn't pull in the net because of the large number of fish. You see, Jesus is inviting them. I want you to partner. I want you to see what happens when you hear my word. I want, you to ha- I want you to realize what happens when you and I team. I want you to see the fruitfulness of this, not to shame you, not to crush you, but to bring you up and to realize I am not calling you to live this life alone. I am not expecting the things that my word says to be done on your own power. I want you to see me and you when we work together. Jesus has told these guys, I'll never leave you. But he is showing them again, see, I meant what I said. It's something to hear a sermon. It's something to hear the word of God preached. It's something to read it in your devotional time. It's something to listen to it in the car. It's something to hear the word of God. But it's a whole other thing when that word becomes real life to you. And all of a sudden, the things that you hear about Jesus healing, he heals. You hear about him providing, he's provided. You see him lift up. You see him care 
And all of a sudden, that word becomes flesh. And what you see begins to weave together a clearer picture, just like when you're putting together a jigsaw puzzle and you're just adding pieces, and at first it's just full of holes, and it's hard to see what it really is, but as you close in, and the Lord gives you these experiences, and gives you these words, it gives you these different touches, the picture starts to fill out, and you step back, and you go, oh, I see. And he's weaving together in a way where they can see, because in verse 7, all of a sudden, John shouts to Peter, it's the Lord! And Brennan did a great job of unpacking this section of the scripture. Simon B. and Simon jumps in the pool. He swims like mad. He just can't wait to see this Jesus. Why? What is it about this Jesus? What is it about him? Usually when I blow it badly, if I make a mistake, it's like, ooh. I don't want to see anybody. How about you? I want to find a hole deep, climb in. I want to pull the curtains. That did not go well. What is it about this Jesus that makes this man who denied him three times and bailed on him in his greatest point of need, what makes him jump in the pool and swim like a madman? We're going to see. Verse 9. This is the part when I, I, I read it, and I still, when I read it, I just get wrecked by it. You guys, you might think I'm weird, but it, it's kind of weird to me. But it's good in, 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 in many respects. Because in verse 9, you see what kind of God he really is. All the misconstrued nonsense that Hollywood throws out, that media throws out, people say, I can remember in college, we're doing drugs and we're talking about, you think there's a God? Come on. Not one of us had a clear mind. Who are we to say? God had a sense of humor. He's like, I'll see you, Spencer, October 17th, 1980, boy. <laughs> Verse 9, this Jesus, this God, when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said, bring some of the fish you've caught. So Simon drags them in, and they sit down to have breakfast. Now you go, Mark, why do you think that's so important? This is God. This is the resurrected, almighty, new Jesus. This is, this is God, and he's making you breakfast. We tend to think, oh, God's so busy. He doesn't really care about my situation. He's not really concerned about my sickness. He's not really concerned about my finances. Fully, God has time to make you breakfast. He had to shop. He had to bring it. He had to start the fire. He had to cook it. He then brings them. He calls, breakfast. They come. He serves them. Before he serves them, this is God. What kind of picture do we have of this Jesus? Is that the picture? Or do we think he's disinterested? Aloof? Grumpy? Uncaring? It's astounding. God fixes us breakfast. In our world, this is where it's hard for us to get our head around it. 
Because if we were drifting at work and we didn't get the job done, what would your boss say? Woo! What's wrong with you knuckleheads? Why isn't this done? What's taking so long? What do the teachers say? What do the coaches say? What do your spouses sometimes say? You know? (laughs) We hear so many different things barking at us, and then we think, oh, that's probably what he's like. That's not what he's like. Jesus Christ cooks breakfast for you. That's the kind of God he is. He waits for you. He calls to you. He's right alongside your situation. He's walking the shore. He's fully aware of what's going on, and he's preparing for you and me. That's the kind of Jesus this is. It's amazing to me that God Almighty, the Savior of all things, it's astounding, but he's tried to communicate this in so many different places. But probably my favorite place is Matthew 11. Because it means so much to me personally. And it's in that chapter where, where Jesus, this good Jesus, calls and he says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened. All you drifters who are trying to do it on your own strength. All you drifters that are just trying to keep your nose above water. All you drifters that are just struggling, just trying to get through the day, just trying to get through the eight hours, the 10 hours, the 12 hours, so you can collapse into bed and get up and do it. All those people come to me, come to me, come to me. And take my yoke upon you. And then he says some very important things. Learn of me. You see, the, the issue isn't our burdens. The issue isn't even the yoke. The issue is, who is this that we're coming to? If we've drifted. Because the way he describes himself, the Greek blows up. It doesn't know what to do with it. When he says, I am gentle and humble in heart, that word humble means lowly, a base, apart. It's not a word that you would associate with Almighty God. It's way down here, and they, what do you do? So the only thing you can do is step back and look at the whole picture of who this Jesus really is. And this is what Matthew looks like. This is what Jesus looks like in the context of that verse. You groan. He hears it. You can't even call. He calls. He steps down. He's not aloof. He's not like, ooh, Mark, that looks nasty. I don't know if you're going to get out of this, son. That looks heavy. I hope things go okay. That's not Jesus. This is Jesus. He steps down, climbs down. He gets into the mud that Mark Spencer's stuck in. All the dirt, all the muck, all the grime, because he is lowly and humble in heart. And he's not in a hurry. He gets close to me. He puts his arm around me, and he's not rushing. He's waiting. He wants me to hear his heartbeat. He wants me to know, with no uncertainty, he's near. He wants me to feel that he cares for what I'm going through. He understands. And then he looks at me, and he wants me to get it. He wants me to feel it. He wants me to know. He's not in a hurry. Good not I am, but he's not. And then he waits. Why is here close? 
He wants me to know I'm a God who's close. I care. And then he looks at me and he says, you ready? Because, son, when I start to move this thing, it's going to move. You ready? He wants to wait because he wants to do it together. He says, you ready? And then he begins to put the almighty shoulder underneath that load, and he raises it up. And I see firsthand, this close to the almighty God, he cares. Who doesn't want that Jesus? Who doesn't need that Jesus? That's the Jesus that comes to you when you drift. That's the Jesus that calls to you, follows you. Because you might forget him, he can't forget you. You might drift from him, but he can't leave you. He's already said, I'm in, all in. So he writes into the hearts of the disciples in that moment, I am that kind of Jesus. Follow me. And so this morning, I want to tie this up with a prayer, if we can. I won't ask you. I just would assume that all of us would have to admit that when confusing times hit, when hard times hit, we just naturally drift. It's what we do best. But the big question we have in our hearts is, where's Jesus? He's on the shore. What will he do? He'll help. He'll call. Listen. Follow. We don't need to go away. We need to go to. So let's pray. Lord, as we get ready to take the offering and to go to worship and the communion, it's a good time. It's a great time for us to really just give over to you and to receive from you. So, Lord, I want to pray first for those people that are stuck, their image of you, your, the picture of you, it's been hammered on, it's been beat on, it's, it's got pieces that are torn away, and so it's not a clear picture. And I know, I know that I know that this morning, one of the things your spirit is here to do is to illumine the eyes of our heart that we would see you as you really are and not let the situation crowd you, but to let you be you. So, have at it. And Lord, I want to pray for those that are in a situation where they feel adrift. They feel like, I, I don't know. Where, how did I get here? What will happen when Jesus comes? There's a number of you that are really crowded by shame, thinking that you're so ashamed, you're thinking, oh, Jesus has just kind of washed his hands of me. That's not true. That's not what the book says. That's not the Savior who comes calling. So as we sing, as we come to the table, Lord, let us hear with fresh ears what you're saying and to see you for who you really are. Because, Lord, we want to be anchored by you and stop the drift. In Jesus' name, amen.
Pray. 